Fine. Yay. Okay. Thank you so much, Paul and Malign, and the eldership here that you dare to have me. Um, and it's just so wonderful to be part of the same church groups. And um, our prayer meeting this morning, we're praying for you and for us that um, we'd really be able to just hear and sense the heart of God for what he's saying to us as a people and a nation as well. Um, Paul spoke to you a bit about me, um, but before I carry on, I just want to say I was praying this morning and just for maybe as someone or people in this congregation and you feel like you're in a pressure pot at the moment. The heat has turned up, the lid is on, on strong, and you feel like you're about to burst. And God just wants you to know you can take off the lid. You don't have to wait for him to take off the lid this morning. You can take off the lid. So that his life and the oxygen and all of the goodness of the atmosphere can come in. I also sense that for some of us here, you can actually go off the, the stove plate, all right? And I just really sense God wants many here to walk in rest and take lids off and maybe even go off the stove plate. Okay, so that's for you. Take it or leave it. That's not a problem. I, I've been obedient. <laughs> okay, so just to say quickly, um, yeah, I'm married. We've been married. To, um, I'm married to Jennifer, and we've been married for 33 years. She only has 12% vision, and um, she's an inventor, and she's an inve invented a product that is hopefully going to go to market. She was um, given an award by SAB, but we didn't get any beer. It's rather sad. And, um, but she's, she's an amazing person, and she has a very prophetic gift in her. And so she's praying for us as well this morning. Um, we have two children. Um, they're both married, and I'm going to be a granddad to two grandchildren by July this year. So that's very cool. Um, and as Paul said, you know, we've, I've taught for 12 years, and then um, we started a year of a life school that we both um, created and then implemented with people from all over the world. And over and over, I got to a point in terms of leadership development where there was an issue around sexuality. And I, I, I didn't know what to do. I went and I looked in scriptures and I found so many scriptures that pe people could pluck on pain when it comes to sexuality. And I said, just focus on them, focus on them. It's gonna go, it's gonna go. It did not go, it did not go. And I eventually felt, who is going to actually find out what sexuality is really about and actually open up this topic? And I think you are so courageous to do this in your congregation. Um, madness, maybe where angels bear to tread, okay? But, um, and I looked for some theological seminary that, that did something on sexuality and there was nothing. So I joined a little academy and I went to the dark side. I went to the dark side for three years, undercovering, under prayer, um, my wife knowing everything that I was dealing with. And there was a lot of stuff that I did not want to know. And there were many times that I thought, no, I don't want to carry on. 
And God just said, Andre, if you don't, who will? And in the process, I gained a whole lot of compassion for so many people in the world that are into different ways of expressing their sexuality that we would say are so ugly and so abominable. But you know, we can love them and they can teach us something as well. And um, as Paul spoke about the lady, you know, we, we must never throw stones. And I've learned incredible things from people on the other side, people with deep, deep sexual wounds and behaviors. And um, I think God is into us making people human. But in order to make people human, we've got to be human. And that's what I'm really hoping this morning. We can become more like human beings. Let God be God. All right? Let's just be human. Let's just realize we, we are human beings that are broken, that need Jesus every day so that we can just shine more of his light in a dark, dark world. So the topic here is worship and sexual purity. And I mean, when I hear the word sexual purity, I want to run in the opposite direction. Because for too long, we haven't known what that really means. We thought it just means you never, ever, 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 ever talk about it, let alone think about it. All right? And when we go through arousal or anything like that, oh my word, we've got a demon. All right? And I think we've got to change our hearts and our minds around it. So, it's not on. There we go. Okay. So quickly, speak to the person next to you. Answer these questions. Come on. I'll give you two minutes. Where, you, where have you and your family found answers about healthy sexuality? How has being a man or a woman been a curse or a blessing to you? Who encouraged you when you went through puberty? What is the difference between gender identity and gender role? Come on. I think you can talk louder. Come on. There's some people who are by themselves, and that's sad. They need somebody to ask them a question. We're being human, aren't we? Come on, let's be human. All right. Did anybody feel 100% comfortable with all of those questions? No, okay. All right, yeah, yeah. Okay, because we haven't been raised in too much of a healthy environment where those things have been spoken about. And certainly many of those things we haven't actually understood and we've carried a lot of shame around them. So let's look at our world and look at the landscape in which we live and see what are the ways in which, um, or, or the things around us that really cause us to struggle with worship and sexual purity. So we do live in a nation, all right, that is in a sad state, okay? If we look at the gender-based violence statistics in South Africa at the moment, I'm sorry I don't have uh, more up-to-date statistics, 
they're not good, and I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, but I, I, I think in 2019, they found that of those viewers um, watching pornography, 17% attended church every week, 29% occasionally, 19% sometime, and 18% never. Okay? And I'll go to the next one, because here you will see that 75% of those watching porn in our country are Christians, and they go to church. And only 12% are atheists. Yeah, I think they're lying, but anyway. But I think there's a huge indictment on us as the body of Christ to ask the question, why? Why is there a need to look at porn? All right, I, I get rather tired of, you know, anti-porn programs where it's all about how many days you've been free and how you're going to distract yourself and all those kinds of things instead of going to why do we need porn? What inside us, what is the curiosity, which is actually good curiosity? What are the longings which are good our longing for enjoyment, excitement, to be wholehearted. What are those things inside us that are not being fulfilled in godly ways that are causing us to go places that are not healthy? Right? And that's what we need to be looking at. And if we want to worship in sexual purity, we've got to look at those things. And we've got to start normalizing who we are and our needs and our longings as well. If you just look at gender, gender statistics, statistics, all right? Um, only 1% in South Africa in 2023. I think that's also not true. I think it's way more. I'm not, again, I'm not going to go through all those statistics, but if you look at the final one there, and this was a stat from um, the US just this year, it was found that when they went to gay people, and, and I just want to say that all of us are struggle with our sexuality in some way. But when they went to people struggling with same-sex attraction, they asked them, what do you think of the church? And these people said, you know what? We don't mind churches actually having a theology and maybe a covenantal theology that says there are only two genders, that sex is heterosexual and monogamous. All we want to have is people to see us, just to notice us. And that is the deepest, deepest need in every human being, is to be noticed, just to be noticed. Look at the person next to you and just say, I see you. You know what? That's all it is. We yearn just to be seen. Yesterday I prayed for a young girl who has been through a terrible past, in terms of abuse and sexual stuff that has happened in her life. And once we had finished praying, I said, are you okay? And all she said was, it's so nice to be noticed. Tears falling down, it's just so nice to be noticed. For who I am, not for the sin that I may have done or had done to me. Okay, and I think that's what we need to be doing. So, sorry, what is real worship? We can go through 
many of the tabernacles, and obviously David was a wonderful worship leader, and um, we could work, talk all day about worship, and I love worship, and, and we could. But I think let's just, in terms of our sexuality, Paul writes well in Romans 12, verse 1, and he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your nat sorry, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. So firstly for me, for me to be sexually pure as a worshiper, I need God's mercy. Okay, let's all just say that we need God's mercy. All right, we need God's mercy. Because it doesn't just include our voices, it doesn't just include this marvelous place here, it includes the way I look at my body and what I do with it. And heck, do we need God's mercy? When last did you look in the mirror when you're naked and say, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Yeah. Some of us think, heck, we need God's mercy. <laughs> All right? But that is what God wants because he made every part of our being. All right? And it says here that we've got to present our bodies. And yes, that's our genitals. Yeah. There we go. That's, that's the way we think about sexuality. That's the way we think about sex. That's the way we think about, you know, the opposite sex. That's the way we think about our arousal script. Oh, my giddy goat. Okay? All of that comes when we worship. All of that comes when we, when we want to just get close to, to our dad. And that's real worship. That's intimacy, knowing and being known. And what better way to worship God than to stand in the mirror and look at it and say, hey, God, you made something amazing. <laughs> okay? Because that's worship. That's real worship. It's giving our bodies, all of ourselves, as living sacrifices, holy and well-pleasing. Okay? Holy, oh my word, we say holy and we think, oh dear, now I failed. Okay? Holiness is, is something that we cannot attain in our own strength. And I think if we can remember that, when we come to God and we want to live a holy life, Yes, we've got to put in the right boundaries and we've got to have certain covenantal understandings of what is healthy. But at the end of the day, we can't be holy. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before the holiness of God, our maker. And so I just want to say, whenever we come to the Father for worship and in worship, we need to just surrender our bodies every part of our being, the way we think about them and other people concerning their bodies as well, and say, Lord, have mercy. And I believe in you, Jesus, that you're doing the work and that I can become fully holy. And then well-pleasing, being able to use our bodies in the right way. And that's not only our physical bodies, but our rational, logical intelligence. Yeah, our intelligence, eh? 
as an act of worship. So, there's one thing that I really just want to highlight here. And when I was growing up, I don't know about you, and I am very young. Um, I have grandchildren. So there was one thing when I was growing up in the church, and that was whenever we heard the, the word body, we thought that we've got to kill. Kill the body, because we linked it to the word flesh. Kill the flesh, all right? And I just want us to clarify that. When we look at Scripture, there are different meanings to the word body and flesh, all right? Body is actually our somatotype. It's soma, the Greek soma. And it's our physical meat box, for want of a better word, all right? And we actually need to look after it. There's nothing good or bad about it. It's what God has given us. And we must understand that. The other word, which is socks, nice word, say socks, socks, that's flesh, okay? And it's the part of our body, and I think it's got more to do with our minds, that makes us subject to sin, that causes us to fall into sin. And so we've got to know that in Scripture, when we read about the body, all right, there are times where it's just the body. And all of us should be looking after our bodies, eating well, exercising well, and then using our bodies in the right way. Okay? That's something very good. But when it comes to the flesh, it's often speaking about our propensity for sin. And that we need to deal with. But you know what? We can't deal with it if you're not willing to embrace it. Actually say, you are there. Yeah, I see you. Okay? Not get so disillusioned by it that we actually try and constantly shove it under the carpet. But we've actually got to acknowledge it, that it is there. All right, so if we go to 1 Corinthians 6.12... Quite a long piece, but let's do it. Everything is permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. Okay, so as believers, everything is permissible for us. Yes, also in sex. Okay, but not everything is beneficial. Okay, and I'm speaking about sex within a covenant relationship, not outside of that. Okay, but I'm also speaking about our sexuality outside of marriage. Okay. But we've got to actually start understanding, what does this mean? I will not be enslaved. That's what it means. I can do anything as long as it doesn't enslave me. What is addiction? When I'm enslaved to something that takes up all of my mind, um, the, the, the time and the effort and the issues of my mind, causes my relationships to go a bit wonky, Sometimes it even causes me not to be able to work as well as I can, okay? And we've got to realize that we are not to be enslaved, even though we can do lots of different things, but not all of them are beneficial, especially when they enslave us. So when we're enslaved by anything and brought under its power, allowing it to control us, the body, which is the soma, is not intended for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the Ha! Ah, the Lord is for the body. And we're not talking about the body of Christ. 
the Lord is for the body. And so if he doesn't want us to fall into sexual immorality and he's for our bodies, then he has a way out for us. Isn't that good? Okay? But we've got to realize that it is something beautiful. But the Lord is for our body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Wow. Am I therefore to take a member of Christ and make them part of a prostitute? Certainly not. The one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her. And so we've got to realize that, yes, we all talk about soul ties. Some of you have had deliverance around soul ties. You know, just in our nature and in our body, when we have sex or when we go through the sexual cycle, the last thing that happens when you have orgasm is that you release a hormone called oxytocin in women and vasopressin in men. And that hormone is an attachment hormone. It is an extremely strong hormone. It causes an attachment to anything you are thinking about or looking at when you reach orgasm. Now, you can just see in this context, man, God wants married people to have lots of sex. Okay? Sorry, ladies, you might want to bash me now. Okay. Right? Because you're going to attach more and more and more to your spouse. Okay? But where does that leave singles? Come tonight and you'll find out. Okay. All right. But that, for me, is so important. What Paul is saying is actually a physiological thing. It's not just supernatural, spiritual hoorah. Okay? When we have sex, when we actually engage in sexual activity, and unfortunately, and later we'll speak about that, it's about what we are looking at, we are attaching. And so... When, when we deal in counseling and with people, most of the time we are reconstituting people from all these attachments that they've made all over the place. And we're saying, come back and be one. Come back and know your body is beautiful and it can be one. All right? So yes, when we attach ourselves to a prostitute, we become part of them. Certainly, the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her. For he says, the two shall become one flesh. And that's obviously in marriage. All right? That's right in Genesis 2, where the two became one flesh and there was sex in the garden. And I've been to communities where they've felt and believed that sex only happened after the fall. So we've got to realize, my word, we've got to change a lot of cultural issues. Okay? That's by the way, sorry. For he says, but the one who's united and joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run away from sexual immorality in any form, whether thought or behavior, whether visual or written. And now we get to pornography. Okay? Most pornography we see nowadays is pictures, and it's on the internet. But I want to say that and this is mainly amongst the feminine species here, all right, the females, that much porn that is ingested by women is written. Because for women, the romance of a story actually draws them down a road, okay? Certainly men, we've got to realize we are 
aroused by what we see. Okay? We are visually stimulated. And so we've got to realize that. And we've got to put boundaries in around that so we don't fall prey. Okay? So we've got to run away from it. But the one who is sexually immoral, sorry, but the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Okay? That's interesting. So when we are sexually immoral, something happens inside. And often when there's been sexual immorality, there's some form of sickness. There's something going on inside. And it's not only mental. Okay? And you've got to remember that. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And then look in Colossians, and Paul says, So put to death and deprive of power the evil longings of your earthly body. That is socks. Okay? That part of your being that has the propensity for death and for sin. Okay? With its sensual, self-centered instincts. We'll talk a bit more about sex, sensuality later. The morality, impurity, sinful passion, evil desires, and greed which is a kind of idolatry because it replaces your devotion to God. Now, I just want to say, idolatry is one of the biggest issues at the moment concerning sexuality. Because as soon as we put a name above what God has named us, it is idolatry. Because God is the I am. When Moses met with him at the burning bush, he said, who are you and what must I say to the people when I see, see them? And God says, say the I am is sending you. Weird, man, weird. The I am, okay? But you know what? It was really making those Israelites in Egypt aware that there is no one that has the right to have a name that is not directly given by the Most High God because He is the only one that can give a name. Okay? And so we need to really start questioning, and we all do this, folks. We all call ourselves different names. I'm stupid. I'm fat. I'm thin. I'm too tall and lanky. All right? My eyebrows are non-existent. <laughs> okay? We all have these names that we call ourselves, okay? And then people go as far as saying, well, I'm not completely male, I'm partly something else. And it all comes down to idolatry at the end of the day because what God made us is what stands. And naming ourselves anything different is actually idolatry. So, yeah, wow, what can we do <laughs> Well, it's good to know that no temptation has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience, okay? Nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. But God is faithful. He is compassionate and trustworthy, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But along with the temptation, he has in the past and is now and will always provide the way out as well. And will overcome temptation with? Wow, isn't that cool? Hey? 
So when we are facing temptation in terms of the names we call ourselves, in terms of the way we use our body, in terms of what we've allowed our eyes to see, God says, come on, I'm with you in this, all right? You don't have to believe that you cannot overcome this because you know what? With me, it's going to end with joy. It's going to end with joy. And you know what? Our sexuality should be a joy ride. I'm not just talking about sex. Our sexuality should be a joy ride because we're constantly needing to find out where are the boundaries and work them out with God. Okay, so I'm quickly going to do this, and I know that Paul has looked at this scripture, but um, I want to just focus very clearly um, on what Paul says. In order for us to really be healthy sexual beings, we need to know our bodies. Okay, we need to understand our bodies. We need to know how they work, right? Because sexuality is natural. Okay, sexuality is completely natural. And there you've got what sexuality is. It's something that includes our whole body from our head to our toes, not just our genitals. It starts in the womb and ends when we die. But in heaven, there is an allusion to the fact that we're still male and female. So anyway, but there's no sex. I'm going to speak to God about that, okay? So it's lifelong, all right? It's got to do with all our thoughts and feelings and the way we act concerning the genitalia we have, okay? And all of those things are there, sex, gender identity, gender roles, orientation, and so it goes on, okay? Now, if it were just us and God, and we could hear from him, and he could download a healthy sexuality, we wouldn't have no problem. But unfortunately, we've got all those things around who we are that speak to our sexuality, and we've constantly got to be asking the question, are these things telling us what God is saying? All right? Culture eat strategy for breakfast, okay? I've been to some cultures, and my word, my strategy of helping them understand their sexuality has been eaten for breakfast, right? Because they have a certain belief system concerning it. I have people that have been in churches and different churches, and they come to me, and they've been so hurt because there have been certain rules placed around how you express yourself sexually, even within marriage. Okay? And we've really got to look at culture. So I'm not only talking about language cultures and things like that, but even our church culture. What are we saying? How are we helping people to be free rather than binding them up? Okay, so we've got to understand that. So sexuality is natural. Tell your person next to you, sexuality is natural. Okay, it's natural, okay? All right, we didn't choose to have sexuality. Do you, do you know that? We didn't choose, okay? We didn't choose that we had to drink, drink, drink stuff to feel well. Okay, it's just natural. It's part of our being. So then we've got to actually decide then what is sex. What is sex? And oh dear, I'm going to the temple. <laughs> All right. Okay. So now we've got Moses. Moses is bringing out probably about three million reprobates from Egypt. Okay. These, this bunch are a motley crew. My word. You can imagine they've been, 
they've really been inculcated and taken on some of the cultural issues within Egypt. There have been so many gods that they can worship, and now they're coming out, they've gone through the waters, and they're still moaning. Don't believe that there's one God that can actually do the things, all right? And, and dear old Moses has to now somehow help these people realize that there is only one true God, and he wants to know you. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. Not like these other gods where you have to go and cut yourself, thrash, and beat yourself, and do these things, because they don't really want to know you, okay? But this God wants to know you. And so God gives him this amazing tabernacle, and you probably all know it, okay? But um, it starts with the outer court, with the brazen um, altar, and then you've got the beautiful um, laver, where you washed yourself. Then you went into the inner courts, and on the left-hand side, you had the um, menorah there. And then you had the bread on the other side, and then the incense rising. Then you had the curtain, which was made by three layers of incredibly beautifully embroidered um, material. And then you went through there and into the holy place. And my, oh, my, in that holy place, there were miraculous things. I mean, even in the Ark of the Covenant, you had Aaron's rod still budding, Still budding, okay? And then you also had these moments where God spoke, all right? And so you had this incredible thing. And why was that created? It was created so that people could realize, I can go into the presence of God. And he wants to know me, all right? And I need to know him. And this whole thing was set up so that the, the, the Egyptians, no, the Israelites, could understand there's one true God who wants to know you and is so bothered about you. That whole process was one of intimacy. Now, I do not want to undermine, please hear me, I do not want to undermine the tabernacle. But I want to say that the act of sex is one of intimacy and getting to know each other more and more and more and more. And if we really want to understand what good sex is, all right, we need to understand what each one of those symbols mean. And I've done that, and I know a guy called, um, forgotten his name, all right, who has done it as well, where each one of those things in the tabernacle relates to the sexual act in some way, all right? And so when we look at what is sex, okay, sex starts with an outer court where there's preparation for sexual intimacy. And what does that preparation look like? Yeah, we've got to let go of things in our lives and we've got to sacrifice and tell our spouse about it, okay? We've got to make her aware that it's been a bad day, but I'm not going to let it define me. I'm going to sacrifice it. I'm going to burn it for you. Okay? Then we go to the next phase, and we actually wash ourselves in the Word. And in Ephesians, men are told, please wash your wives in the water of the Word. Okay? Then when you go into the holy place, oh, my giddy goat, you start getting aroused because you love each other. All right? And you start seeing all these symbols happening in your body that express the beauty of God. And we know that all those symbols in, most ho in, in the holy place 
They all represented Jesus. The light was the light of the word, the, um, the menorah. Obviously, the bread was Jesus, the bread of life. The incense constantly rising. Okay? And so when we get close to each other in the holy place of the sexual act, right, it becomes a place of expressing and showing who I am and being happy with my arousal script and what's going on. I'm sorry we're saying this in church, but that's what it is. I'm not sorry, okay? All right? So yes, there's going to be, you know, blood flowing to the right places, okay? And then we have going through the curtain into the most holy place. You know, that curtain with three layers was a place that a, an appointed priest at an appointed time could go through and download all of the sin of the nation. And once he had done that, he would receive from God something that he would take out, share with the nation, and birth something new. I hope you're starting to see the analogy. So the curtain becomes like the hymen, all right? And yes, it includes the penetration into the most holy place. And it was mysterious what happened in there. And you know what? Orgasm and what happens in there is the most mysterious thing in all the world. It's the most vulnerable place that anybody can be with another person. Right? Because your body reacts and responds in ways you have no control over. But it's a pouring out of your seed. And it's also the impregnation of something fresh that is going to come out and change the world. And that is our children. So, sex is worship. Woo! Okay? And I'm saying it that way because I think we've got to start helping people to realize this. It's not just something that includes us taking off our clothes and jumping into bed and doing whatever. Okay? Sex might be, and I'm not saying it is completely, it might be the epitome and the end of real intimacy. The world says take your clothes off first and then be intimate. Okay? But in God's plan... If we go through the tabernacle, you're taking off different layers of your mind, your heart, your emotions, your spirit, and then only your clothes. And then you experience this incredible closeness. So we've got to understand sex is natural. Sorry, no, it isn't. Sexuality is natural. Sex is worship. Okay? And we can carry that deep in our beings. Knowing that me, every day I've got to deal with my sexuality. Every day. All right? But when it comes to sex, it's got to be seen as something that is holy and is worship to God. And to honor it that way, whether I'm married or not. Okay? But I do want to say that the most under, um, um, the, 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 the least spoken about people that need all of the honor that we can give is actually single people. 
because they know how to deal with their sexuality so that they do not need to sexualize relationships to the point that they go into sexual relationships that become destructive. Okay, we'll talk more about that tonight. So let's just be a bit more practical. How can we then become sexually pure and worship? All right, I want to say we've got to celebrate our Soma. Celebrate it. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed and embarrassed. Okay, we've spoken about that. All right? We've also got to know where is it safe to be naked. Nakedness is a big deal. If you think of it, it was the first shedding of animal blood. I think the first shedding of blood may have been when, when Adam actually penetrated Eve, but I'm not going there, okay? But the first shedding of animal blood as a sacrifice was to cover nakedness. Our naked bodies are so, so important to God. And we have to be so careful where we are naked. But we've also got to be so comfortable with our nakedness, and we've got to start celebrating it. Okay? If we don't start celebrating our nakedness, then we, you know, we're actually missing out on becoming holy worshippers of the King of Kings. Right? And that sounds a bit weird, but I really want to encourage you with that. And what does that mean? We've got to know our senses. Do you know that the, the skin is the biggest sexual organ that we have? Sorry, men. Okay, the skin is the biggest sexual organ that we have. All right? It is full of sensations. Hair, each hair has a, a nerve that is linked to our brain that can cause a reaction and a response, which is amazing. Okay? And we've got to start understanding that. We've got to start celebrating tastes and visions and you know, all these parts of who we are, but not only outside, but in terms of our own being. All right? And start seeing it as something good. We've got to understand how we work, folks. And you know what? Most of the time, we don't know how we work because we're not willing to go to the boundary and know when we've fallen. Okay? And so, when I'm dealing with youngsters and they say to me, Uncle Andre, how often can I masturbate? Okay, that's the big question. We'll answer that tonight. All right? Um, I say to them, well, you know what? You've actually got to know when to stop thinking about things having yourself being touched in certain ways so that you do not need to, or looking at things so that you don't need to go there. But most often, we've got to fall before we know that. And so that's why I just want to say grace, people. Grace for ourselves, grace for each other. I'm in no way saying, as Paul said, that we now have the right to go and do silly things, but we've got to understand our body and how it works. We've got to understand our arousal scripts so that we do not move into socks. We've got to know what arouses me. And for everybody, it's a different thing. Okay? Yes, there are general, generalizations about this in terms of men and women, 
But we've got to work that out ourselves, even when we aren't married. Okay? And then finally, we've got in our genitalia. Yeah, we can touch it. Huh. We've got to know what it is. We've got to actually understand how the structures are formed and why they are formed in a certain way. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm not being frivolous here. But when we look at the structures within a woman, right, a lot of engorgement, and that is where blood flows there, happens without her knowing because it's not external. We know, men, hey? Okay? But many women don't. And because they don't know when it's happened and whether it has happened because they don't understand their body, there are times when a man will see that and will say, she's given me consent, and rape can happen. And so this becomes an incredibly powerful tool to stop gender-based violence and to stop child molestation. If we can help our children to understand that when you feel that, don't sit on uncle's leg, because something could go wrong. But we haven't gone there. And, be, and, and most of it is because we haven't actually considered ourselves. And we're too fearful and we're too scared, right? But God says, know your body, know it. All right. And then we've got to become really um, settled in our gender. I'm not going to go into too much depth because I'm running out of time, over time. <laughs> um, but if we go back to Genesis 2, verse 18, God says that he ma made man and woman, and he made woman because Adam was not good. Okay? Adam was stupid without woman. Okay, think about it. Get a bunch of guys together, <laughs> all right, and let them stay together for too long, and oh, one a bit. It's bad, eh? Okay? So he made Eve, so that Adam would have a counterpart that was complementary. E, I was an English teacher, complementary, completes him. He did not make Eve so that Adam can have sex. Okay? He made Eve so that Adam could be completed. Put a bunch of women together, and after a while, uh-uh. It's not good either. Women need men, all right? Now, we've got to look at our culture, and even in the church, <laughs> when we separate men and women, for how long? <laughs> Is it good all the time, right? And just to say that Eve was not made just for marriage. She was made so that Adam could be good. So whether we are married or not, we need each other, and one is not above the other because they are both made so that each other can be good, not stupid. Okay. And we've got to get settled in that whole deal. But if we go into what it means to be male and female, these are wonderful descriptions for us from the, from the original Hebrew. Man is said to remember. Oh, giddy goat. Women say, really? Okay. He moves to create significance. He penetrates, not only physiologically, but he wants to move things forwards. He wants to bring life change, and he wants to lift and carry. That's probably because he's got a bit more testosterone, and he wants to shift things forward. 
Okay? That is what a man is. Does it say that a man can only be a mechanic? No. Does it say that a man cannot be a hairdresser or a florist? No. Okay? That is what it means to be a man. Let's get settled in that, guys. Okay? What does it mean to be a woman? Well, a woman receives and she accepts and she's punctured and bored through. Yes, she does have vulva and she does have an opening that gets penetrated. Okay? But you know what? When I go home and I tell my wife something that happened at work and that has really hurt me, she starts crying and I say, it's not about you. <laughs> okay? Because women are punctured emotionally way more easily than men. And they're meant to be. All right? And that's why we need each other. Okay? Men need their wives or, or their girlfriends or another girl to give them a good smack and say, shut up now. <laughs> you do not know what's going on here. Okay? But sometimes men need to be able to say to women, it's about me. <laughs> Can you just hear me? It's not about you. You don't have to be punctured. Okay? All right? She nurtures, she sustains, and she nourishes. I've lived in a marriage that we have totally different upside-down um, roles. I love florist work, okay? And my wife is uh, an inventor, and she deals with mechanical things, and she's not got that kind of mind. And so we've had to work that out, all right? That what I do, okay, and what I'm gifted in does not define my sex or my gender. Okay? We've got to be careful of that because even in the church, we have these underlying beliefs that what you do defines your gender. And we are not helping each other. We are not releasing the gifts of the body of Christ so that the bride can shine. All right? So, we've got to settle, really settle in who we are and our gender. And know that what we do does not define us. Okay? We were defined as male or female at six to eight weeks in our mother's womb. Full stop. There's a tiny percentage of people that when they are born are intersex, and we used to call it hermaphroditism. But it's something like 0.0003% of children. Okay? Yes, there can be problems in terms of secondary characteristics, how, making people aware that there were problems hormonally, but that's even a smaller percentage of people. So we really need to settle who we are, our sex and our gender, or settled in our mother's womb. Our experience in life could have really been hard to reconcile who I am and what I'm meant to be as a man or a woman. But we've also got to let Jesus into those moments so that they do not define us and so that we do not become idolaters and start naming ourselves things that are not what God has said we are. All right.